All right. Yay, I'm on. Thanks for that intro, Sam. I've got my little mihi mihi mihi, my pepe here. Kohokafi to Te Monga, Te Manawa to Te Awa. Kotahi Tangata Waka, Te Tangata Teritia Ho, Kogari Toku Hua, Rangatira, Konekia Ho. Kia ora, welcome. Um, as I was um, putting this together, and I, I thought in the night last night actually, there are a lot of you who don't actually know me. Um, and I'm he launching onto the stage and I'm going to have a little chat with you. Um, so I thought I'd better say just a little bit um, about who I am. But the Kogari Toku Hua Rangatira is that he's my chiefly friend, or my friendly chief. You work it out. <laughs> As in spouse. Um, but Gary and I have, um, we're a second marriage. We have had um, previous marriages, so we've been married for 10 years. We have three children between us. Um, my life has been that of training as a teacher and been a personal trainer for 20 years and now I'm a manager of a care centre for counsellors and social work, um, social work services that is completely underwritten by a charitable trust. So the social work services are free to anybody. Um, and so I get a very small stipend for a lot of work but it, it brings a lot of pleasure to, to see um, where we say um, hope restored to the lost. Um, I also am privileged because Gary works um, really hard at his job as an electrical engineer. Um, I'm free to sort of select what I choose to do and don't do and I love mentoring and I have um, a mentoring person I've been uh, working with for four years for her work and again that's, um, I do that out of love um, and it's just neat to serve out of love helping in a school using my teaching skills again. Um, just as a volunteer work. So I'm grateful that because Gary works hard, I'm free to bless others. And, and we've got four grandchildren and a third one due in October. So we, our mokapuna, are growing, and that's a really delightful phase to be in. But um, I was asked to talk about the last verses of uh, the letter to Philippians. And that was going to be in four weeks' time, but because of the International Day switching, and something's going on with that. This got brought forward uh, four weeks, but that doesn't really matter because Paul's letter's all over the place anyway. <laughs> it really, really is. Um, he's a bit of a superhero, really. Let's see what we can get on here, shall we? I've got to switch something on here too, do I? I thought it was all going to behave itself. Thank you. There we go. So I've always seen Paul as a superhero. I mean, you look at all his work in the Bible. He, he appeared to do amazing things for the kingdom, making an impact that actually literally has gone down in history. And he was passionate, and, and he was all in, and I'm sure that we would know that people who met him would have seen his halo. Or maybe he was just a pretty ordinary man with an extraordinary God. And his superpower was the Holy Spirit. But I sometimes wonder too whether he had ADHD. He was passionate, he was relentless, and um, his, his letters they just have passion and they segue in long sentences from one thing to the other. Um, and just, yeah, just his all in, he was just completely all in. Um, but the letter to the Philippians is such an endearing one of love. And I just saw a little tag thing that went up from Life FM about it being the most joyous book in the Bible 
despite being written in a prison cell. It exudes joy, despite him being in prison, and he boasts only in Christ. He knew the risen Jesus, he had a personal relationship with him, and he knew God would supply his every need. So my hoa rangatira is going to come up and read. I'm going to get to this for him, because I can be his helpmeet for that. He is going to read... So this is how uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians ends. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more aid, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And finally, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace and the love, the grace of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In his commentary um, of this particular letter titled The Richness of Christ, J.A. Mortier aptly names these verses as the contented Christian. And I'm going to look at this and two other themes of this text now. I'm going to look at Christian generosity, Christian contentedness, and Christian faithfulness. We're going to have a brief look at these. And one part of me, um, people who do know me know that I don't accept the status quo very easily. I like to poke people. Um, So you're going to get a number of pokes today. I think I might have put the poke there. There we go. 
I thought that was a bit mean, actually, so my pokes are going to be a bit more gentle because that's sort of like, oh. No, mine's just a little poke. So let's look at Christian generosity. At the end of each... Um, there we go, I've done the theme, done the poke. Look, it's likely that Paul... Um, I'm just having trouble with the lighting here, actually. It's a bit funny. Never mind. It's likely that Paul was in a dark dungeon, really dank, rank and smelly, probably looking something like this, but that actually looks quite clean and nice. Um, and his basic needs weren't provided for by his captor, captors, they were given to him by his supporters. So the Philippians overlooked the stigma of being associated with a prisoner held in a dungeon, and particularly one on death row who was going to be um, executed. But they o overlooked that to give him his physical, or see to his physical needs. And it was an effort. Paul indicates that with the church not being able to help at times. But essentially they got it. They understood that they were in a position to help Paul. On generosity, Moitia notes these things. The sufficiency of one Christian is related to the generosity of another. In the book of James, in chapter 117, the sufficiency of, of that comes from a divine source, and that is every good and perfect gift is from above, coming, from, coming down from the Father. The Lord uses Christian generosity to meet the needs of other Christians. That's unpacked more in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. And giving to other Christians is need is a means of Christian fellowship. Paul says this too, and it's like laying up treasure in heaven, a sweet aroma to the Lord. God gives to us to give to others in need to bring glory to him. As a church, I think we are actually a really generous people. We seem to understand the mission of Christ, giving to the work of um, the church kings here. And we also give generously to the gift days twice a year with kings. And I, I'm blown away at the amount that Sam just said that we gave to Isla. That is just so typical of who we are as a body of Christ, that we are super generous. Um, and I was thinking about Isla when um, I was writing these bits here, that we, we understand it, we get what it means to help other Christians. And Isla, in my opinion, is, is doing mission for us. We can sit here in comfort, and she's out there doing our mission, but we can support her, and we've done it really generously. We've also helped um, the House of Grace in recent years, a Christian organisation, but we've also outreached to non-Christian organisations like Virtuoso Strings in the past, and the free dentist um, services in town that uh, the that John um, Buckerfield was involved in, and we gave to that. I think there was money for a bus or something. It's just amazing. So we are a generous people, collectively, as a church and as a body of Christ. But here is the poke. And I'm poking myself here too. So I'm using new language to you, but I'm poking myself. Do you give sacrificially? Meaning, do you give so that it might hurt a little or hurt a lot? Or do you just give out of your surplus? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Christian contentedness, this is the main body of these verses. And most of us, or many of us, will have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There are five 
needs, and the basic one being our physiological needs, then our safety, then our love needs, our esteem, and our self-actualization. The interesting thing is that Paul says he is content in all things. Here he is in a prison cell, in a dungeon, disgusting cell in Rome, and he is content in all things, and he's barely having his basic needs met. He, has he can be content with plenty or with lack, with hands full or hands empty, with stomach full or stomach empty. I'd say that it's unlikely any of us have lived in squalid conditions, and forgive me if I've made a wrong assumption. The closest I've been to is when I walked among the filth and decay and associated stench around me in the streets of Dhaka in Bangladesh about 12 years ago. I saw a huge waste bin of rubbish that had decomposed to its lowest component of a wet, black, thick carbon, and still people were picking through it. Their need is so great and endless to even put a handful of rice in their mouths for the day. Well, when Gary and I lived in the Philippines for several months and we spent a week in a squatting community just on the outer, outer limits of Manila um, in Quezon City. Now, that isn't the, the place we stay. That was nearby. But this is what it was. That was just behind the house we stayed in on, on a little bridge. It was a river full of sewage, a river full of waste. It stank. The rats were also a challenge. Yet we were amazed at the Christian contentedness of the community we stayed in. They were a happy community. They functioned happily. The children out on the street playing with their rubber band games, happy, laughter. The um, older people, the older folk, sitting under a corrugated piece of iron playing board games. There was a sense of contentedness. And despite that, in spite of their contentedness, they'd had fires in the past that had raised through areas of the um, squatting community, and they had floods. So that river in the monsoon rose, particularly, um, this was about six months before we were there, rose so high, it was up to nearly the first floor of the house we were staying in. Now, granted, the roof is low, I could touch the ceiling, but it rose up to there. They lost everything because it was all contaminated. And what did they do? We just start again. We help each other, we start again. They're content because they share in each other's troubles and they help one another. They're really a symbiotic community. Remember that Paul wrote his letter, as he wrote it, he was actually having just his basic needs met, if that. But he writes this, I'm not saying, that, saying this because I am in need, for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Notice that last bit. God was using community to help meet Paul's needs. Here in Aotearoa, our needs are largely met, and I would say that most of us could say that we reach four or five 
of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I, I think five of the self-actualization, because we have a God who we relate to, we have a God who we follow and believe in, and I think he is the one who can ground us on that. I got this from the Elephant Journal um, online from 2013, so the figures may be slightly different, but you'll get the point. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, coins in your wallet, notes in your wallet, <laughs> coins, spare coins, you're in the 8% of the wealthy, the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week and do not have access to good health care. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pangs of starvation, you are luckier than 500 million people alive and suffering. In Hebrews 13.5 it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that's his promise. You know, the Western world of which we are a part is self-sufficient, individualistic, hedonistic, if not narcissistic. So how as followers of Jesus can we be content in all things when our society says that we are entitled to more? Well, I think we can take our cue from Paul. He had his eyes on Jesus and not on his circumstances. He learnt the secret um, to, to this through his hardships that he endured for the sake of the gospel. But he ultimately he chose to discipline himself in obedience to following Jesus. In verse 11 he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. He practised this with a Christ-centred faith and he never gave up. That's where I've got a long way to go to even come close to his example. And I need to remind myself to not tell God how big my problem is, but to tell my problem how big my God is. And unless it's exercised and tested, how can we be content? And when we're tested, we can choose to practice at being content or not. And look, everything is relative. Any loss, be it illness, bereavement, financial, anything lost needs to be grieved. That's a human emotion that God has given us. And then we need to choose contentedness and maybe, yes, even joy. Here's your poke. Are you content? Do you choose to be content? Do you even practice at it? Are you practicing being content whatever your circumstances? Faithfulness. Paul was a faithful and faith-filled follower of Jesus who gave thanks and praise and worship to God. Why wouldn't he have expected to have a smooth ride proclaiming the gospel? But his reality was really harsh and he was relentless still in running the, running the race for Jesus, spreading the gospel, 
planting churches and encouraging them from afar, as far away as the prison cell. Our reality is so different. We may have an unspoken expectation that we want a smooth ride, and I know at times I really am sort of like, that's happened, but it should be easy, shouldn't it? I'm reminded years ago of a friend who, uh, I'm going back about 18 years, she had a diagnosis of cancer, and we were shocked. She was a faithful follower of God. I was in the Catholic Church. She was such a good woman of God. How could this happen? And she was saying, it is a joy for me to suffer like Jesus did. Now, I was gobsmacked at that. I mean, they were words that I wasn't expecting from someone who could, could be on her last days, her last months. She had so much joy in her suffering that she actually was the one who was encouraging who so so-called supporters and encouragers, and I really took that on on board. She she survived, but whether she did or didn't, it actually didn't matter because she was doing it with joy. It's like when um, Paul says, and I'll, I'll be saying it again later, that um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, life brings hardships and betrayals, and I've had those. Life brings disappointments and losses. I've had those. And like Paul, we can press into Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, be strengthened to what God has called us to do, and that is to have faith in him. He will be all those things if we abide in him by calling on his Spirit to fill us and give us strength. Ultimately, faith in God is believing that he has the best for us believing that he will work all things for us because we love him. Believing that with all the trials we have, no matter how great or how small, it is enough to lean on him. It is enough to trust him to bring us through. C.S. Lewis wrote, Whoever, oh God, sorry, God who foresaw our tribulation has especially armed you to go through it, not without pain, but without stain. And Paul says this, I do all things in him who strengthens me. There are two tiny little words in that that have a huge, big, big meaning. The big game changes in him. If we abide in him, he will abide in us and strengthen us. So how can we do this? We don't get faith just by coming to church on Sundays or by going to connect groups, and they are really important things to do. But we abide in him in our daily reading of his word, and marinating in that by praying daily. In fact, I, I start talking to God. I think if anyone walked into my house and, and no one else was there, they'd think I'm mad because I'm having conversations with God. In fellowship and coming together and just being supportive and edifying one another as Christians. And in worship, anything we can do in our daily life can be turned into an act of worship if it's given and done in a way to glorify his name. You see, we rest in him, we give him praise, we give him thanks, we know him, and we have a personal relationship with him just like Paul did. And because we know him, we have faith in him. And here's your poke. It's the last one, I promise. Do you have faith in your holy God keeping your eyes on Jesus and his heavenly kingdom purposes, that he's got you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. 
or do you trudge through your trials? See, our faith says that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. And why? I forgot about the poke. And why? To our God and Father for, um, be glory forever and ever. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. You see, Paul lived all of that and he didn't do it out of his own boasting but for the Lord's. Because God is faithful, God never changes, and God is good. The power of the Holy Spirit that gave Paul the strength to persevere is the same power we can have from the very same Holy Spirit who is active today and just as active today as he was for Paul. And the same Holy Spirit helps us ordinary people live extraordinary lives for God's kingdom here on earth. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. If I've poked you and you feel poked, yay. We really, yes, thank you. We really want to be able to, to just bring it to God and say, you know, I, I'd wake up some days and go, oh, I've, I've messed up again. I just do it so badly again, Lord, I'm sorry. We're at the end of my day as well. And I'm pressing into him. If you want more of that Holy Spirit, I'm just going to invite you just to stand up exactly where you are. Be brave. Put your hands out. And I'm going to ask the people around you just to pray for more of your spirit. So it's completely safe, people. You don't need to come down here. <laughs> so take a look around. See who's standing. If they want more, go and pray. Because you are all ministers in the gospel. You are all ministers for Christ. You all have the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've got the power of the Spirit to give and you've got the power of the Spirit to receive from Him. So as people are standing, I just want you to put your hands out because, I don't know, that's just, it's not a magic thing, eh? It's just like, it's a submissive, submissive thing. And sometimes I find when someone touches my hands when I'm in need, I can feel the power of the Spirit go through me. So people, if there's someone standing around you, would you just move into that person, put your, lay your hands on with their permission and just pray for more of the Spirit, for them to dig in deeply to God, to feel Him more, to be, be that superhero in the Holy Spirit. We're not all going to be amazing ADHD people like Paul, but God created us to who we are. The people He created us to be are who we are, and He has more for us. So circle around someone, pray for them, and then in a few moments you're welcome to, to slip out to the uh, lunch. Just go quietly though, allow people to pray and minister quietly, and uh, the soup, lunch, and teas and coffees will be ready when you're ready, and there will be children too to collect as well.